0: When I was um, praying and and just inquiring of God as to what to share today, I was drawn towards uh, the book of Isaiah, chapter 43. uh, And probably the most well-known part of that that chapter is when God says, Behold, see, I am doing a new thing. And I feel that God has a message to his church in this season that, that he wants to do a new thing. And that's because there is uh, there's been a change. We're we're in a different landscape, uh, and a bit like the Israelites when they were uh, in the wilderness, and then they moved into the promised land. The landscape was different. Things that were true before were no longer true. And I I feel God is saying that to His church that the landscape has changed. You know, we've been through quite a lot. When you think about it, as a nation. Uh, and I'm sure individually as well, over the last six or seven years, when you think about Brexit and all, the, and all the political fallout from that and COVID and the cost of living crisis that we're experiencing now and war in Ukraine and Israel more recently, things that were true before are no longer true. Financial decisions that you might make a few years ago when interest rates are 0.25% are very different from financial decisions you might make today. And it's true too for the church that things that worked in the past for the church may no longer work. And I really got a sense that God is saying to his church in this season, I'm doing a new thing. And so I just want to share with you uh, a few sections of Isaiah 43, and then just explore with you uh, uh, just a few things that I've that I've been uh, led to pull out from that. So I'm just going to read. Uh, I'm not going to read it all I'm going to read through to 19, but I'm going to miss out a couple of chunks just in the interest of time, but it's on the screen. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Since you are precious and honoured in my sight and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. I, even I, am the Lord, and apart from me there is no savior, I have revealed and saved and proclaimed. I am not some foreign god among you, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, that I am God. Yes, and from ancient days I am He. No one can deliver out of my hand when I act. Who can reverse it? This is what the Lord says He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together. And they lay there, never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness." God spoke these words through the prophet Isaiah to a people whose city had been destroyed. They'd been captured. They were living in exile in Babylon. And God was, I think, reminding his people of a few things. And and I've got four things that I've just pulled out of these verses that I think God wants to remind his church of in this season. And they're nothing, nothing new, nothing sensational. They're very simple things. But I've just got a sense that God wants to remind us of a few things. So the first thing is God wants to remind us of who he is. You know, sometimes when we've been through difficulties, when we've been through challenges, and those challenges seem to come one after another, when we finish climbing one out mountain, there's an even bigger mountain next on the horizon, and sometimes when we, we go from one challenge to the next, those challenges and those enemies can seem bigger and bigger. And at the same time, our God can seem smaller and smaller. I came to faith uh, listening to Joel Osteen. Um, anybody know Joel? A few people, yeah. Uh, and one of the if you want encouragement, listen, listen to Joel Osteen, he's, he, he's great. One of the things that he said that really stuck with me early on when I was listening to him is is he said, you need to stop telling God how big your problems are and start telling your problems how big your God is. Have we forgotten who he is? In these verses, we hear of God, the creator, God, the redeemer, God, the protector, God, the father, God, the friend, God the saviour, the only saviour, he's a God of love and he's a God of power. When I act, who can reverse it? When I was at school, when I was about 13, 14, uh, I became friends with a guy called John. Now I, at that age, I was, I was quite underdeveloped. I was still a little boy really, I had a squeaky voice and I used to pretend to have a deep voice. I used to put on a deep voice like that when I was talking to people. But John, he was he was what we called a man-child. Anyone have a man-child friend when they were at school? He was that, that kid that used to have to shave at playtime, you know. He had a full beard. He had the full rug of chest hair. He was six foot two, rugby player, 15-16 stone. He was a full-blown man. But do you know something? When I became friends with John, my whole demeanor changed. I went from walking the school corridors like this to strutting around like this. I was walking around as if I owned the place. Well, I walked the streets as though I was invincible because I knew he had my back. I knew this big guy, this big, strong Oaf. Was his, we, that was his nickname. We used to call him Oaf. People used to shout Oaf across the playground. He, and he wasn't a rough guy. He wasn't a, you know, he wasn't a fighter at all. He was a big, big friendly giant, really, a big softy. But you know, when you're with somebody who, who has everything that you think you lack, you feel empowered by that. I knew he had my back. Do you know who's got your back? The creator of heaven and earth, who spoke the world into existence, has got your back. I just wonder in this last season, have we forgotten who God is? How powerful he is? I know you're you're going through a, a series on the fear of God at the moment. And I just, as I was thinking about that in this message, I just think there's something about this image of God as a lion, the lion of Judah. There's something significant about God as the lion of Judah. And we often refer to the lamb of God and the lamb who was slain, but he's also the lion of Judah. The second thing I think God wants to remind us of is who we are. We we read that God it's God who made us, He created us, He redeemed us, He chose us, that we are precious and honored in His sight, that we are loved. Ephesians two ten says, We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. The psalmist said, every hair on our head is numbered, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. I love it what, that, what David said, what am I, God, that you are mindful of me? When I look at the stars, when I look at creation, what am I that you are mindful of me? It's only when we realise how small we are and how big God is, do we realise how much we truly matter. If we were to send a message at light speed from here to the edge of the known universe, it would take 15 billion years to get there. And our God is bigger than that. 1 Corinthians 6 says, Do you not not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought for a price. Have we forgotten who we are? That the creator of the universe who spoke the universe into existence chose to make his home inside of us? That we are temples of his Holy Spirit? That we were bought with a price? Have we forgotten who we are and whose we are? The third thing that I pulled from these verses was uh, about perspective What's your perspective when you look out to the future? When you look to the horizon, when you look to the days and months and weeks and years ahead, what is your perspective? When the Israelites were going from the wilderness into the promised land, things changed and they, they, they sent spies in, didn't they? They sent 12 spies into the promised land to suss out what was going on. And 10 of those spies came back and said, yes, it's a land flowing with milk and honey like was promised, but there are giants in the land. And they said, we felt as small as grasshoppers, and that's how we must have looked to them. Have we got a grasshopper perspective, church? When we look to the future, do we, are we filled with, with fear? Two of the spies had a very different perspective Joshua and Caleb came back and they saw the same things. They looked at the same situation, but they they had a very different mindset. They had a different perspective. They said, we will devour them like bread. They have no protection as the Lord is with us. So don't be afraid of them. I really commend the church for pressing into this subject of the fear of God. Because it's a really difficult subject. Because we're living in a climate of such fear. One of the things that has changed post-pandemic cost of living. There is more and more fear in our culture, in our society at the moment. And so to, faith, to, to tackle head on something and, and, and say, yeah, let, let's, be, let's focus on the fear of God when we're already grappling with so much fear at the moment. But actually... The things that we're afraid of, God tells us not to be afraid of. Do not be afraid. Twice we hear it in those verses in Isaiah. And throughout Scripture it says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. But the one thing it says that we are to be afraid of, we're not afraid of. Those ten spies went in and they came back. And they, had, they just demonstrated the fear that was in them. The fear of man the fear of circumstances, and the fear of failure. But when we put our trust in God, when we fear him, that releases us from all of those fears, and we become prisoners of hope, as it says in Zechariah. I love that. Prisoners of hope. We are so set on hope that we are in an inescapable prison that nothing no matter what happens to us we cannot be uh, uh, impacted by the fear of everything the fear of all those things going on around us because we are prisoners of hope have we got that perspective of hope church when we look out on the horizon are we looking are we looking forward with hope or with fear some of us are perhaps looking back at the good old days But I believe God is calling us to look forward to the good new days. If you go to Kenya, if you go to any of the eight and a half thousand churches that Compassion partner with, and you speak to the, the community leaders, you will hear one thing very, very consistently. Children living in poverty feel hopeless. They do not dare to dream of a better tomorrow because they can see no way out of their present circumstances. So when you send them that letter, when you sow into their lives, you're, you're speaking into all of those voices that say they don't matter, that say that they are hopeless. You bring hope to those children that don't have any. Some of you might be feeling that you're in the wilderness right now. God is saying, see, I'm making a way in the wilderness. I believe God is saying he's going to call you out of that place. He's going to take you somewhere. But more than that, I believe God is saying that the best is yet to come. Listen to what it says in verse 16. This is what the law says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters. God is talking about taking the Israelites through the Red Sea on dry ground and defeating their enemies, snuffing them out like a wick. This was the definitive moment in the history of the people of God. And what does God say about it? Forget it. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Your greatest victories are out in front. They're not behind you. Jesus said, greater things will you do because we are temples of the Holy Spirit. We have him living inside of us. What perspective do we have? Do we have a perspective of fear or a perspective of hope. The fourth thing is that we are to be his witnesses. Max Lucado says this, to call yourself a child of God is one thing. To be called a child of God by those who watch your life is another thing altogether. Jesus said we are to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. How do we witness? What does witnessing mean? It's a very Christian term, isn't it? Witnessing. You don't really hear it outside of the Christian sphere. What does it mean? It just means when people look at you, when people look at your life, they know that there's something different about you and that something different points them to the one that makes the difference. I've already given you one great example of how we can be witnesses, it's by being people of hope. When people look at your life, when people see you, they'll think, and you're full of hope, they'll think they work in the same company, they work in the same building, they live on the same street as me, but why are they so full of hope? Why are they so full of peace? Why are they so full of joy? They've got the same difficulties, the same challenges as me. Why are they so full of hope? it's because we have that eternal hope that can only be found in relationship with Jesus. But there's an even better way that we can witness. It's by being people of love. When we show love to people above and beyond the social norms and expectations, when we show love to people that we're not obliged to love, when we show love to people who are unlovely, that is the greatest witness that we can be. Jesus said, and this is how everyone will know that you are my disciples when you love one another. Jesus said that just after he'd washed the disciples' feet and just before he went and delivered the ultimate, unmatched, definitive act of love on the cross. When you show love to to a child on the other side of the world, When you point them to the one who is love. That is the most powerful witness that you can be. There's one more way that I felt God was saying that we can witness. And this might seem a little bit strange, but that's through prayer. And you might be thinking, "Isn't, isn't prayer an inward thing and witnessing an outward thing? But Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. Our connection to him, our connection to the spirit is absolutely related to the fruitfulness in our lives. Because when we meditate on his word, when we speak to God, when we wonder at creation, when we meditate on him, we recalibrate ourselves. We re-point our compasses towards him when we remember who he is and who we are and have that perspective of hope and that overflowing love in our heart that we just want to share with other people because God has been so good to us. If you were to ask me what brought me to compassion, why am I here, why do I work for compassion? I would say prayer is one of the most significant parts of my story. I worked in business for nearly 20 years, but for 10 of those years, I had this real sense that I was, in, I was in the wrong place. I had this real sense that God was calling me into something different. I didn't hate my job, I liked my job, my life was just fine, but I had this sense of discomfort and unease. And the only thing I knew how to do was just to pray into that. God, where are you leading me? God, where do you want me to work? God, I want to serve you. Show me where you want to be. And on this journey, I, I heard God say to me a few times, just stay where you are for now, but I'm calling you. And through an incredible set of circumstances, I came to work for this wonderful ministry. My friend John that I told you about earlier, he... Uh, sadly developed a uh, unhealthy relationship with alcohol as a teenager and uh, over the years that got progressively worse and uh, God really put it on my heart a few years ago to pray for him and sometimes I didn't know what to pray I didn't know how to pray uh, but sometimes I just spoke his name out loud but every day Almost every day. I tried to just pray for him. I tried to and I spoke to him. I spoke into his life many times. And he would just get worse and worse and worse. Earlier this year, he he told me that he was drinking between eighty and hundred pints of cider a week. Uh, and I really didn't feel that his life was gonna go anywhere but down. And my heart was really breaking for him, but On the 25th of July, we were at a funeral together of one of our other mutual friends that sadly passed away. And whilst we're in that church, John made a decision to end his relationship with alcohol. And today, 88 days later, he hasn't touched a drop since. But what's so remarkable about it is that all of these strands of different things have come together. He's had no withdrawal symptoms whatsoever. He's got this sense of absolute clarity, absolute honesty, absolute ownership of all the things that he's done. Whenever you used to speak to him, he used to deny, he used to lie, he used to cover up, he used to play it down. But all of a sudden, full responsibility, full ownership. And I can't tell you how good it is. I've got the friend that I had when I, when I was a teenager back. I really haven't seen him properly in about 20 years. I've been going out on bike rides in the morning with him on a Saturday. I, I'd never seen him on a Saturday morning since, it was a, since our school days. You just wouldn't see him. Our ministry in Korea. Uh, some of you may know that Compassion started in Korea uh, with orphaned children. Uh, there are no uh, um, sponsored children in Korea anymore. There's no extreme poverty. Korea is actually a donor country now. And it's the second biggest after the US. It's bigger than the UK. More children are sponsored out of South Korea than are sponsored from the UK. And their ministry has really grown recently. And some of our our leadership team went out there and were exploring how they've managed to grow their ministry so much. And one of the key things that they pointed to is they felt called, they felt led to open up a 24-hour prayer room. And they've seen as a result of that the number of children sponsored grow and grow and grow. In the last couple of years, they've had two unsolicited donations of more than $10 million. People just phoning up saying, I believe God wants me to invest in your ministry. I'd like to sponsor some children. The person on the phone said, how many children? Would 2,000 be okay? Each of those examples I've just given you weren't prompted By people they were prompted by God. Tyler Staton, in his excellent book Praying Like Monks Living Like Fools says this, the assumption of biblical prayer is that God's action always precedes my request. The aim is not to get God in on what I think he should be doing, rather the aim of prayer is to get us in on what God is doing. Become aware of it, join it and enjoy the fruits of participation. I believe God is calling his church to pray to new levels and new depths with new passion and new commitment. So in a moment we're going to do that. Uh, I'll invite you to to stand. But I don't know whether one of those aspects has spoken to you this morning, whether it's just remembering who God is, whether it's just remembering who we are in God, whether it's remembering to have that perspective of hope, That we are on the side of victory and that we are to be his witnesses. And we can start doing that by just simply loving on people. Love people with no agenda and to pray and keep praying. Prayer works. Prayer works.